History has treated Billy the Kid as both a hero and villain. His name is synonymous with the Wild West, with gunslingers and barroom shootouts. Shrouded in myth and folklore, and enshrined in pop culture, Billy the Kid is the archetypal American outlaw, living by his wits and his six-gun one day at a time. But what is the truth behind the legend? This is Billy the Kid Part 2, The Regulators. Dawn on February 18th, 1878. Rancher John Tunstall, a 24-year-old English immigrant, dabs at the corner of his mouth with a napkin, looking out of the window at the low hills. The sun is up. Breakfast is over. It's time to leave. He looks round the men at the table, his six most trusted employees, including Henry McCarty, now going by the name William H. Bonney. He's better known to his friends and enemies as Billy the Kid. Tunstall nods. The men stand. Billy checks and holsters his gun. Tunstall has been tipped off that the sheriff of nearby Lincoln City has rounded up a posse to seize his animals, thanks to a dubious court battle with rival ranchers. His horses have been legally exempted, but Tunstall is still savvy enough to move them to another location. The men quickly saddle up and move out. By late afternoon, Billy is riding drag on the narrow trail a few miles outside Lincoln. One of the men spots wild turkeys in the brush, and with Tunstall minding the tethered horses, his employees set off for some impromptu hunting. Billy hangs back. Despite only being 18, he has a nose for trouble. He looks back at Tunstall on the ridge and spots a cloud of dust kicked up from somewhere behind him. It all happens quickly. Billy shouts for the others, pulling his rifle from the saddle scabbard. Before he can raise it, his employer drops from his horse. Billy is stunned. The sound of the gunshot that felled Tunstall bounces between the canyon walls. Billy starts to ride towards his boss when a man appears above the rise, then another and another. It's the posse sent to capture the horses, and Tunstall's men are outnumbered. Billy is too far away. He's powerless as he watches one of the posse climb down from his horse and shoot Tunstall through the head before turning the gun on his horse. As it drops, the posse turn their attention to Tunstall's men. Stone chips and dust fly into the air as bullets zip through the gully. The men scatter, taking cover behind rocks and stunted oaks. Breaking off their attack, the posse take the horses and gallop away, leaving Billy and his friends to gather up the body of their employer. John Tunstall's death has just sparked what is known as the Lincoln County War. And before the year is out, countless more will lie bleeding on the dusty ground. Billy will play a leading role in the coming conflict. The kid's legend is about to rise. History is full of men and women who live outside the law. Some are heroes, others are villains. Many are both. Each week, 
We'll take you on a journey into the life and times of notorious outlaws, from Billy the Kid and Ned Kelly to Anne Bonny and Al Capone. We'll delve deep into their stories to find out how legends were born and continue to grow, often long after they're gone. I'm Nathan Wiley, and this is Real Outlaws. This week in Real Outlaws, we'll ride with Billy the Kid and the infamous outlaw gang, the Regulators, as they fight through the Lincoln County War, one of the bloodiest feuds in the Old West. In the course of a few short months, Billy the Kid will transform from a young ranch hand and a small-time thief to a big-time outlaw, becoming a legend in his own time. Named for the assassinated president, by the 1870s, Lincoln County is the largest county in the U.S., taking up a quarter of New Mexico territory. Outside the settlements, nothing much stands taller than the scattered rocks and twisted scrub oaks, a stark, sun-bleached landscape of rocky peaks and vast plains. It's the epitome of the Wild West. Ill-gotten gains, hard liquor, and a population forged in the Civil War make for a lethal combination. Crooked politicians and ruthless cattle barons rub shoulders with hired gunslingers and corrupt sheriffs. Life is cheap, with six shooters a common dispute settler. No surprise, the homicide rate of the sparsely populated New Mexico Territory is nearly 45 times higher than the national average, accounting for 15% of all murders in the country. And much of that takes place in infamous Lincoln County. It's the perfect draw for anyone looking for adventure and a quick buck. Michael Wallace is a journalist and historian and author of Billy the Kid, The Endless Ride. This was sort of a kingdom unto itself. In New Mexico, there were little fiefdoms here and there. In the center of the state, as far as commerce, the law, government, and so forth, was Santa Fe, which eventually was the territorial capital and then became, in the 20th century, the capital of the state. So everything was controlled up there, both good and bad. Lincoln County was under the control, really, of Santa Fe in many ways. But one of the dark ways they were under control was because of the presence of what became known as the Santa Fe Ring. The Santa Fe Ring is essentially a crime syndicate made up of corrupt officials acting only in their best interest. From the governor of the territory down to the man in the street, nothing happens in New Mexico without the Santa Fe rings okay. They reached out in this octopus and started reaching into various territorial counties and districts to acquire more members. And they did that quite well in Lincoln County. The city which takes its name from the county is in reality nothing more than a village. Nestled between the Sacramento and Capitan Mountain ranges, Lincoln consists of a main street running parallel to the Bonito River, populated with a few saloons, hotels, and houses. At one end of Lincoln sits the town store, 
run by a rough Irish veteran and Santa Fe ring member named Dolan. His gang treat Lincoln County as their personal fiefdom. All county business flows through the store. They own the courts. The sheriff, William Brady, is a close friend. Many powerful political and economic forces are allied with Dolan, not least the New Mexico Territory governor and the territory judge. New Mexico's attorney general even holds the mortgage on Dolan's store and has a personal stake in its success. If you wanted something done or you wanted something at all, you had to go to them. And they were called in that big building and the house is what it was referred to. It's an unwise man who chooses to take on Dolan and his corrupt web of cronies. Enter 23-year-old Englishman John Henry Tunstall, a middle-class Londoner. Tunstall emigrated to Canada at the age of 19, but quickly got bored of an apprenticeship in his father's business. He's weary of starched collars. Instead, he dreams of adventure on the great cattle ranches of the American West. The thing about Tunstall is there was a term back then for people who came from abroad, and especially England. They were usually an errant son or, you know, the second or third son. And they would go off to the United States and, and full of hope and adventure. And that's what Tunstall was. He was basically a very naive young man. He was about 23 when he came into Lincoln County and started thinking he was going to make a great fortune with investments down there. I'm historian Ruth Goodman, host of Noise's newest podcast, The Curious History of Your Home. I spent my life investigating the hidden history of everyday objects. The vacuum cleaner in your cupboard, sleek and compact today. But when it was invented, it was literally powered by horses and took four to six people to operate the minty fresh toothpaste by a sink. Well, if you lived in ancient Greece, you'd be washing your teeth with ground up bones and oyster shells. Double glazed windows? We owe those to a French king's odd fascination with oranges. The Curious History of Your Home explores the extraordinary in the ordinary. Listen to The Curious History of Your Home each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. From award-winning podcasters Noiser, The Curious History of Your Home. Tunstall arrives in Lincoln County in 1876, a year before Billy the Kid will kill his first man in a saloon in Camp Grant. The Englishman quickly allies himself with a local lawyer, Alexander McSween, by the time Billy the Kid is on the run in Arizona, Tunstall's ranch is doing well. He's established a rival store just down the road from Dolan's, offering better prices and poaching his customers. Dolan begins losing money hand over fist, soon sliding towards bankruptcy. He takes action. He hires gunfighters, and together with the corrupt sheriff, they stamp Dolan's authority on the county. Tunstall is now firmly fixed in Dolan's sights. Around the time Dolan starts hiring guns, the 17-year-old Billy splits from the gang he's been riding with, thanks to a falling out over a girl. He distances himself from his shady past, 
arriving at Tunstall's Lincoln County Ranch looking for work. Now, he only uses his new alias, William Bonney, or Billy, though he still answers to the kid. Tunstall hires the kid, but not for his physical prowess or ranch experience. He's hired for protection. Tunstall hires half a dozen other cowboys, all of whom dislike Dolan, Sheriff Brady, and the whole rotten Santa Fe ring. They were not at all interested in, in uh, the uh, Santa Fe ring. Tunstall, who said in a letter to his father, where he actually said that everything in New Mexico that pays at all is worked by a ring. There is the Indian ring, the army ring, the political ring, the legal ring, the Roman Catholic ring, the cattle ring, the horse thieves ring, the land ring, and half a dozen other rings. And so that whole ring concept and system really baffled him and bothered him. So he, he became really a thorn in the side of our friends in the Santa Fe ring. Billy and the team of gunslingers are headed up by Tunstall's ranch foreman, Dick Brewer, a trusted and well-respected man known as the most handsome man in Lincoln. Billy likes Brewer and enjoys his time at Tunstall's ranch. He hones the skills he's been hired for and prizes a Winchester rifle Tunstall gives him. He carries numerous pistols, his favorite being his Colt Thunderer, a 41 caliber six-shooter. The revolver has a double action, meaning the hammer doesn't need to be pulled back to cock it before pulling the trigger, enabling rapid fire. It's said by his friends he can throw a tin can in the air and put all six bullets through it before it hits the ground. In late 1877, Around the time Billy is celebrating his 18th birthday, Americans are celebrating Thanksgiving. Young Billy has plenty to be thankful for. For the first time in years, the teenager has steady work, three square meals a day, and a solid roof over his head. He spends his wages on dime novels, good quality clothes, and pomade to slick his hair for town dances. He's been welcomed by the people of the valley, He's particularly friendly with the Hispanic population, who sees him as an underdog. He speaks their language, plays with their children, and savors their culture, and treats them as equals. For once, he has a place in society, but his happiness is short-lived. In early 1878, legal squabbles between Tunstall and his partner McSween on the one hand, and the Dolan faction on the other, boil over. Things reach ahead when a legal suit is settled for $10,000 in favor of Dolan. No surprise, given that the corrupt establishment are either in Dolan's pocket or have a stake in his success. The judge issues a writ for seizure of Tunstall property and livestock for security. They had the sheriff, at that time Sheriff Brady, who was under their auspices, and they really ran things down there. And if you wanted something done or you wanted something at all, you had to go to them. William Brady was not a very substantial man when it came to law enforcement. He was on the take, on the dole of the house. He was a disciple of the Santa Fe ring. He was part of the corruption. He was another Irishman and um, ran what I would call a tight ship, but he had his fans, but he also had a great many foes. 
and a bit of a bully and a bit of a errand boy, if you will, for the people down at the Lincoln County Courthouse. Dolan's lackey, Sheriff Brady, happily confiscates Tunstall's store and puts together a posse to ride out to his ranch to seize livestock. In the vernacular of later years, they put out a hit on young John Tunstall. And Brady rode out of Lincoln with men who he deputized for this mission. On the morning of February 18, 1878, Brady's posse catch up with Tunstall, Billy, and the others on the trail out of Lincoln, transporting Tunstall's horses to safety. The Cold War that's been brewing between the rival factions is about to burst into flames. Finding Tunstall alone and separated from his men, they shoot him down in cold blood. Far below, Tunstall's murder is witnessed by Billy and Dick Brewer. Tunstall's men are outnumbered and caught off guard. They scatter for the hills to defend themselves. In the minds of the attackers, the deed is done and the dispute is settled for good. The posse rides away with the stolen horses, leaving Tunstall's corpse for the vultures. Little do they know, a deadly chain of events has been set in motion. The death of Tunstall, when he was murdered by Sheriff Brady and his posse, when he was just gunned down in cold blood, they even killed his horse. That's really the start of, of the Lincoln County War. Tunstall's body is laid out in Lincoln, with Billy the Kid in attendance, sombrero in hand. As he looks down at the body of the man who gave him a brief period of stability in his life, he is heard to remark, I'll get some of them before I die. It's no idle threat. Before the year is out, Billy the Kid will have made good on it. Out of that death, you had these loyal, this core group who rode for Tunstall, including the kid, you know, uh, and they genuinely liked Tunstall. They liked this young Englishman and uh, rode for his brand. And when you ride for a brand, you have a lot of loyalty, and they did indeed. So his murder shocked them and most importantly, angered them. For now, cooler heads prevail. Tunstall's business partner, the lawyer Alexander McSween, devises a legal way to take revenge. Dick Brewer and Billy the Kid, under his alias William H. Bonney, swear affidavits against Sheriff Brady and the others for the murder of John Tunstall. McSween uses these to obtain arrest warrants from a friendly justice of the peace. It was Dick Brewer, who was a very stalwart man, who was Tunstall's foreman foreman on the Tunstall spread, he's the one that came forward and he was appointed by this as Wilson, Squire Wilson. He was appointed a special deputy and that, you know, that had some power behind it. With signed warrants in his pocket and the law on his side, Billy the Kid immediately marches down Lincoln's main street towards the Dolan store. Unfortunately, the corrupt sheriff has other ideas. When Billy arrives, Sheriff Brady overpowers and arrests him, seizing the trusty Winchester rifle that Tunstall had given him and throws him in the town jail. As he sits in his cell, Billy realizes there's no way to enforce the law without taking matters into his own hands. Not in this town. He starts to plan his revenge. 
Meanwhile, Dick Brewer pulls together a group of Tunstall's former employees. They call themselves the Lincoln County Regulators, and they swear to take down Sheriff Brady and the local justice system controlled by Dolan. Some people think that that term was used, that even the kid might have even come up with that name because he was an avid reader of the famous dime novels. He loved those dime novels, which were so popular in, in America. And one in particular he had was about a, a very uh, dashing, uh, mythologized female pirate whose last name was Bonnie, as a matter of fact. And so she had her regulators. And who knows if that term didn't come from that, Hearing of his unjust incarceration, an army friend of Billy's rides into town with a detachment of soldiers. Legality is a fickle thing, and out here it fluctuates as easily as fortune. At this moment, the regulators have the law on their side. The soldiers free Billy, who immediately rejoins his friends. The regulators have legally obtained warrants and see themselves as a legitimate, lawful posse upholding justice and fighting corruption. Or at least, that's what they'll claim. Liberators, vigilantes, violent gang, it's all a matter of perspective. But they know from here on out, it's war. Billy in particular becomes an ardent member of the Regulators, taking part in every encounter. He seems driven to deal out justice as he sees fit. The first action is in March 1878, a month after Tunstall's death. Following a chase across the countryside, Billy and the other regulators capture three of Sheriff Brady's murderous posse. None of the three will make it back to town alive. The story the regulators tell is one of a botched escape attempt resulting in all three being shot and killed. It's a convenient story, but many think something else happened that day. Knowing their cronies will free them from jail, and with their blood up and revenge in their hearts, some believe Billy and his friends simply executed the guilty men by the side of the river. It's the kind of rough justice the West is only too familiar with. The same day that Billy the Kid is chasing fugitives across the county, New Mexico's governor rides into Lincoln. He's come at the request of Sheriff Brady to see for himself the anarchy that's unfolding. Despite only hanging around town for three hours and only listening to one side of the story, he sides with the sheriff and Dolan against the regulators. The Santa Fe ring tightens its grip. At the stroke of a pen, the friendly justice who had deputized Dick Brewer is fired. The regulators are stripped of their legal powers. Their warrants are useless. This makes their apprehension of the three men that day illegal. The county's pendulum of legal favor has swung again, and in a few short hours, the regulators have gone from lawmen to outlaws. Billy, Brewer, and the others go to ground, but by the end of March, they congregate to hatch a plot. They're hell-bent on revenge, by whatever means. There's no doubt in their mind that it'll come in the form of blood, starting with Dolan's chief lackey, Sheriff Brady. 
Now they wanted to cut the head off of the main snake who led that travesty. So it was Brady's turn. It's late night on March 31st, 1878. Billy the Kid and five other regulators ride into Lincoln under cover of darkness. A torrential downpour dampens the sound of hooves slapping deep mud. The men tie their horses up behind the old Tunstall store and creep to the corral. They spend the night carving holes in the rough adobe wall facing the street. By 9 a.m. the following morning, the rain has stopped. The rutted street is deep with bogs. It is April Fool's Day, and Sheriff Brady is about to learn how foolish he was to take on Tunstall's men, or perhaps to leave them alive. The door of the Dolan store swings open, and Sheriff Brady appears on the veranda. He pushes back his hat on his head and looks up at the cloudy sky. Behind him, three deputies step outside. The four men walk down the high street, avoiding the muddy ditches as they stroll to the old courthouse. They post legal notices about the regulators, then turn to make their way back to the Dolan store. As they pass by, the regulators poke their rifles through the holes they have carved. On Billy's signal, at the same time, each man pulls the trigger. The gunshots shatter the morning peace. Bullets buzz through the damp air, slapping mud and splintering the wood of the building opposite. Brady drops, moaning. As he struggles to get to his feet, a second volley tears through him. One of his deputies is also hit and lies screaming in the street. A store owner runs to help him, but as he pulls him to safety, he's blasted again and dies in a puddle of mud. The shooting stops as abruptly as it started. The town holds its breath. Everything is silent for a moment until the town dogs start barking. Billy the Kid vaults the wall, sprinting to Sheriff Brady's corpse. He wants to retrieve something. He yanks the rifle from Brady's lifeless hand, Billy's own prized Winchester rifle, which the sheriff had confiscated the month previously. A single shot rings out from one of the deputies holed up across the street. A bullet rips through Billy's hip. He drops the rifle, hobbling back to the corral behind the store. The regulators mount their horses and thunder out of the rear of the corral and along the Benito River, leaving the bloody carnage behind them. They are long gone before Dolan and the rest of the gang know what's happened. The impact of the ambush reverberates throughout the county. After Brady was killed, it made the village and surrounding area very paranoid. They didn't know who to believe, with the prominent exception of the Hispanic community. It was that slaying, that ambush, that cold-blooded killing of Brady and his deputy that had such an impact on the regulators. The people of Lincoln, of Lincoln County and the area, 
became more fragmented, actually now taking up sides in the fight. And even some of those who had been supportive of the regulators in their infancy were shocked by a a cold-blooded ambush of the sheriff, no matter how questionable his ethics were. So they thought it was just as bad as the cold-blooded murder of Tunstall. So there was a big change in public opinion, with the exception, of course, of those poor Hispanic people who were native to that land and were the victims of the House and the Santa Fe Ring. And that really stepped up the viciousness of the war. From then on, there were no holds barred. As Billy's leg heals, he rides with the regulators into the mountains to chase down more of Dolan's men in the area. Just three days after the killing of Sheriff Brady, the regulators ride up to Blazer's Mill. They've just sat down for a hot meal when a colorful Dolan associate named Buckshot Roberts ties up his mule outside. Buckshot, a grizzled war veteran, knows he can't escape, but he won't be taken alive. Buckshot takes a slug through the belly before returning fire and blowing off one of the regulator's trigger fingers. Another of Billy's friends takes a bullet through the chest. Half dead, Buckshot crawls behind cover, grabbing a rifle. Volleys ring out, tearing up the yard. Dick Brewer and Billy, dodging bullets, take cover behind a stack of logs. As Brewer lifts his head to take a shot, one of Buckshot's bullets finds its mark straight through his eye, taking off the back of Brewer's skull and spraying Billy with his friend's blood. Bleeding out, it was Buckshot Roberts' dying act. He is tossed in the same simple grave as Brewer. Billy the Kid has lost another friend and mentor at the hands of the Dolan gang. But he won't have long to dwell on it. The regulators gather in Lincoln saloons to drink to the death of their compadres. Rather than downing liquor with the others, Billy prefers the company of Tunstall's former lawyer, Alexander McSween, and his family, who welcome him with open arms. He usually unwinds by singing and playing piano in their parlor. The town is quiet, but it's only the calm before the storm. With many of their friends six feet underground, thanks to the Santa Fe Ring, Billy the Kid and the Regulators have no intention of stopping now. The feeling amongst the Dolan gang is mutual. The Regulators strike first with a raid on one of Dolan's ranches. They kill and injure Dolan's men and scatter his cattle across the range. Little do they know, the fickle fates have shifted again. They learn that the Attorney General of New Mexico and owner of the Dolan store has just foreclosed on the mortgage and taken possession of Dolan's assets, including his cattle. Billy and his friends had no way of knowing, but they just attacked a ranch which no longer belongs to Dolan, but the most powerful man in the territory. Needless to say, there will be a heavy price to pay. A new sheriff of Lincoln is appointed, a weasel named Pepin, and ordered to seek revenge. Pepin and Dolan form a posse, and a slew of mercenaries and gunslingers arrives in Lincoln. 
Warrants are issued against all regulators. Skirmishes erupt whenever a rival group meets, in town or on the dusty trails. Innocent civilians stay out of the way as the feud escalates. Both sides continued to recruit more and more followers, building sizable forces. A final confrontation is brewing. In the middle of summer, it boils over. It's the night of July 14th, 1878. Billy the Kid slips into Lincoln and inside McSween's house. Fifty or so regulators take up positions in the house, the granary, and behind Tunstall's old store. Billy takes up station in a bedroom window, moving furniture so he can stack ammunition ready to hand. With supplies and canteens of water, they're prepared for a long wait. As the sun comes up, it glints on rifle barrels poking around barricaded windows and through crudely carved holes in walls. Lincoln's residents get wind of the huge number of gunslingers in town. Most depart, leaving an uneasy silence. Eventually, without warning, gunfire erupts from the Dolan store. Lead smacks the clapboard buildings, sending splinters whirling into the morning air. The regulators return fire. Shots are traded throughout the morning, with neither side able to gain an advantage. There was a new sheriff, Pepin, who had been elected, and he was as bad as Brady to take over. But he and the Dolan forces, they had uh, scores of men that gathered up at the Wortley Hotel, and they surrounded the McSween house. Reinforcements arrive throughout the day to support Dolan. And by evening, they outnumber the entrenched regulators by a fair margin. Even so, as night draws in, neither side can do anything to break the deadlock. Dolan stations sharpshooters in a nearby building to try to pick off Billy the Kid and his compadres. But the regulators are dug in better than an Alabama tick. Finally, Dolan comes up with a way to break the stalemate. He sends word to Fort Stanton and, using his corrupt government contacts, requests the army bring a cannon to blow the regulators out of their hiding places. This was a very questionable move in the legalities. It sort of flew in the face of the United States Constitution for armed military troops to be used against citizens. The deadly standoff goes on for five days, and the small town is gripped by terror by the constant exchange of threats, warnings, and gunshots. But one way or another, it's all about to come to an end. As the sun rises on the morning of July 19th, a cavalry and an infantry company ride into Lincoln. The regulators can see the army aren't messing about. Finally, this cavalry captain who was there with this column, they're the ones that came down with not only a Gatling gun, but a small howitzer, you know, a 12-pound howitzer and a couple thousand rounds of ammo to back up the troops. And they paraded right down through Lincoln and established a camp. And, and then they went over to join the siege at the McSween house. As the artillery is moved into position, most of the regulators flee. Now from over 50 men, only 13 remain, 
barricaded in McSween's house. 18-year-old Billy is still positioned by his window, clutching a rifle, surrounded by rounds of ammunition. Dolan has had enough and decides to smoke him out. Under fire from Billy and the others, the Dolan gang move in. They manage to get a flaming torch up close, and suddenly the house is alight. Billy leaps up, taking command, convincing Mrs. McSween to take the children and leave the house. He then directs the men in the house to move Mrs. McSween's prized piano from room to room, saving it from damage as they dampen the flames. Night falls, with the men huddling behind smoldering walls, taking pot shots at anything that moves. Billy knows their only chance is to escape to the river behind the house. If they can make it out and keep running, some of them might get away. But without cover, they'll be badly exposed. Billy comes up with a plan. He and four others will run to the store next door, drawing the fire of their besiegers, allowing the others to make a break for freedom. Now, they silently wait for darkness. The kid thought to use the fire as a way to escape. There was a great deal of smoke and flames and confusion. So that's exactly what they did. At 9 p.m., Billy bravely leads the men outside, creeping along the porch in their socks. Suddenly, Shouts go up, gunfire erupts, tearing up splinters as the men sprint next door. Billy manages to get a shot off on the run, blasting the mustached top lip clean off one of Dolan's goons. Unfortunately, while the distraction worked, those in the house have waited too long to take advantage. They break cover and are caught in the backyard in a hail of bullets. Most die in the dust where they fall. McSween himself is cut to pieces in the flickering glow of his burning house. When the gunfire stops, Dolan drags two survivors into the house to fetch their fiddles. Billy watches from the store as Dolan forces the captured men to play music. Tears stream down his face as Dolan and his gang dance in light of the burning buildings celebrating among the blood and bodies. Billy has shown immense strength, courage, and leadership against overwhelming odds. But now, he's hopelessly outnumbered and outgunned. In the shadows, hidden from the blaze, Billy the Kid slinks away into the night. Later, the kid testified. They actually had an official inquiry into this whole incident, and he explained exactly how he choreographed that escape. He even managed to to wound a few people as he was running with his gun. But that that was a devastating blow, Uh, even though some of them escaped, but many were really badly wounded and injured, and like McSween, dead. So th- this, this whole uh, opposing gang and posse and troops were triumphant. They danced and, and drank and fired their guns up in the air in celebration, really dancing on what remained of the regulators. That's truly the official end, if you will, the conclusion of this war, but it did not stop the consequences to follow. 
The attorney general, the military commander, and other prominent officials in New Mexico need an excuse for the immense bloodshed and violence. A scapegoat is needed to divert blame away from their own corruption and terror. They need a name the press and the public can focus their attention on. A wayward teenage gunslinger that's been in trouble more times than most of the adults in the wild town. Someone already accused of murder. It is here that the legend of Billy the Kid is born. Henry McCarty, alias William H. Bonney, alias Billy the Kid, is now wanted, dead or alive. Next time on Real Outlaws, in the fallout of the Lincoln County War, the authorities hope they've heard the last of the regulators. But with Billy now a wanted man, he has nothing to lose, and revenge is on his mind. Through gunfights and daring escapades, we see how this young outlaw cements his legend, rising to become a local hero in the New Mexico territories, and how one man makes it his mission to bring him down. That's next time on Real Outlaws. If you're enjoying Noiser podcasts and would like to hear them without adverts, join Noiser Plus today. As well as ad-free listening to Noiser originals, including Real Outlaws, Real Dictators, Short History Of, and History Daily, you'll get bonus content and early access to new episodes. Start your free trial today with Noiser Plus.